Uh, Turn in your copies of God's Word to Jeremiah chapter 6, and let me read to you a portion of that uh, chapter. We'll start at verse 13, and we'll read through verse 19. Uh, Hear now that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. It's um, the very mind of God is black words on a white page, and it reads like this. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed an abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. If the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Therefore hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. A couple of weeks ago, I had a man stop me on my way out. He was in the sanctuary here, and, and he said to me, um, Jimmy, I want you to know that I pray for you, but I don't pray enough. I was moved by that. Um, I, um, I was moved in even more when I read, probably a day later, an article by Spurgeon, and he was speaking to his congregation, and he, he was asking them to pray for him. And um, he went on to add, uh, I want you to pray that I will be honest. Was he stealing from the church till? I mean, um, was he uh, telling things that were not true behind their backs? No. He went on to explain what he meant by asking the people to pray for him that he would be honest. What he meant was this. I want you to pray that I will be honest with the text that I will tell you what the text says and not what I want it to say. Because it's so much easier to preach it if I tell it to you the way I want it to be. And that way way you you will maybe love me more. So pray. 
pray that I'll be honest and that I will tell you what this really says and not what I wish it said. Back on uh, December the 9th, the second Sunday of the month, um, I told you then in the sermon on Jeremiah, it was in Jeremiah chapter 5, and I told you then that at Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 1, that the book turned a corner. Remember that language, run to and fro from the streets of Jerusalem, look and take, uh, take." remember that? And I said to you on the 9th, that at chapter 5 verse 1, the book takes on a whole a whole different sound it becomes more shrill more severe more pointed and that goes on throughout the rest of the book but especially from chapters 5 through chapters 10 God through his prophet Jeremiah is in the attack mode and I want you to see that and I want you to start it, start looking at it with me in verse 14. Let me read it to you again. God says to Jerusalem and Israel, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace. When there is no peace. You know, there is, a, um, there is a grand illustration of this principle, this truth, that, that history affords us. In fact, it's a, it's a rather iconic moment in history, and I think many of you will remember, or even, not that you were alive then, but at least you've been told about this. I want you to see it. I've got a little video snippet of it. It's only 70 seconds. So take a look at this, which happened, oh, almost, oh gosh, 80 years ago now. Take a look at this. Let me explain a little bit about what you just looked at. That took place on September the 30th of 1938. That is Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of the Great Britain. Um, he had just returned from a, from a meeting with Herr Hitler uh, that took place in Munich. Four world leaders had met in Munich. Uh, it was Hitler and Mussolini. You know, remember Mussolini? Mussolini was was Hitler's lapdog. 
And then there was Deladier, who is, I think they called him a prime minister, but of France. He was the head of, leader of France. And there was Neville Chamberlain of England. The subject of that meeting in Munich had to do with the Sudetenland that belonged to Czechoslovakia. Hitler wanted it, just like he wanted the Rhineland on the west that he took over in March of 1936. But now he wanted something on the east. He wanted the Sudetenland, which was half of Czechoslovakia. Those four men met in Munich. There were no representatives of Czechoslovakia present. And so it ended up that Deladier and Neville Chamberlain gave to Hitler, in the name of appeasement, in the pursuit of peace, they gave it to him without any consultation with the Czechs whatsoever. After they had signed that document, you saw, he said, in this piece of paper, Neville Chamberlain flies back to London and he lands early in the morning and that's what you just saw. You saw Neville Chamberlain waving a sheet of paper uh, and reading from it that had been signed by those four world leaders giving to Hitler By the way, Hitler had threatened to invade Czechoslovakia on November the 1st. So they gave to Hitler. He comes back, Chamberlain does, waves this piece of paper talking about peace in Europe and peace. Later that day, he appeared before Parliament. He had that piece of paper in his hands, and and many of you have heard about this before, but uh, he waves this sheet of paper at at, at, uh, Parliament and says, Peace! In our time. And then he adds, now go home and get a good night's sleep. And as you know, 11 months later, Hitler invaded Poland and World War II was on. Folks, it's hard to express the guilt of giving men false peace. France and Britain lost tens of thousands of lives. I'm not talking about the whole war. Just at Dunkirk in 1940. Because while they were enjoying what they thought was peace, Hitler was arming, and when he struck, uh, France stood, I, I forget, was it three weeks or six weeks, I forget, and he pressed all of those soldiers to the shores of Dunkirk, and tens of thousands of men lost their lives because Deladier and Chamberlain told their countries that they could have peace. They cried, peace, peace. And there was no peace. What is taking place in Jeremiah 6 is worse. God is speaking to the leadership of of Jerusalem and Israel. And um, he's speaking to a group of men who are fomenting rebellion and allowing men 
to live on in their sin, telling them all is well. The the false prophet is is somewhat like the vampire of the soul. You know, the the vampire bat uh, fans with its wings its victims while it's draining it of its blood. The, The false prophet is like that pilot of the Lufthansa flight in 2015. Andreas Lubitz, who once he got airborne, told his passengers to relax and enjoy their flight while he was programming in a deep descent into the mountains. Remember that? The false prophet is like the doctor who pumps poison into your veins while telling you you'll have a long life and excellent health. They offer a message that we want to hear. And it's a message that in in some ways I wish I could preach. Because it's a message that matches what people are telling themselves anyway. No man is ever severe on himself. Take Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. Oh, is that not a a wonderful message? But ladies and gentlemen, it is one grand and glorious statement of peace, peace. When there is no peace. Guys, you see, even if there were no false prophets, people would speak the same message to themselves. It's the message that draws a crowd. Joel Osteen will tell you that. It's a message that flatters. It it, it promises pleasant things. It, It appears far more charitable than does the message of Jeremiah. Oh my goodness. There's Jeremiah, one voice, speaking against all the religious leaders of of Jerusalem, and they're speaking this thing about peace, and he's saying, no! I mean, write this lunatic off! Because peace, peace. After that document was signed in Munich, Britain and France went on their happy, merry way while Hitler was arming. And when they attacked Poland, neither country was ready for the destruction that came upon them. All as a result of being told peace. When there is no peace. Folks, if you say to yourself, I am good enough, or I'm not as bad as they are, and from that you derive peace, be assured it's a false peace. If you have a peace today which allows you to be at peace with your sin, then what you have is a false peace. True peace does not allow you to be at peace with your sin. 
But I want you to notice what, goes, what follows verse 14. Because I, I just mentioned it does not allow you to be at peace with your sin. Speaking of sin, he mentions that in verse 15. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Abomination? What abomination? Sin? What sin? Ashamed? Ashamed of what? No. They were not at all ashamed. And then in one of my favorite statements in the entire Bible, it says, they, they don't even know how to blush. Take it or leave it. My opinion is that's where our country has come to. A country does not even know how to blush anymore. Guys, this this craving for peace is a a natural thing. I, I get that. So what a false prophet does is takes advantage of a human instinct. But folks... It's our inward war with God that creates the inward unrest. So the peace that you need and that you want doesn't start on the outside. That outward synthetic peace, it doesn't change the facts. The gospel is not a message of peace at any price. It is not. Having described their reaction to being told that they were in sin, then in verse 16, he offers them a remedy. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. Return to the ancient ways and and walk in the ancient ways. The remedy. Um, The King James talks about the old paths. I like that better. I think I like it better because of this book that I've had in my my library probably for 30 years. It was written by J.C. Ryle and it's entitled Old Paths. Um, So what are the old paths that he's telling us to return to? Well, Ryle lists 19 of them. But be that as it may, Israel was in trouble... Because she had abandoned those old paths. Now hear me say this, guys. Paths are not good just because they're old. There are some old bad paths. But whatever those old paths are specifically, you can judge them by this one test. If you are on one of those good old paths, it's a path that will take you away from your sin and towards rest. Jesus said that. He said, take my yoke upon you, my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your soul. But if I am on a path that allows me to be comfortable with my sin. I 
then I am very likely on the wrong path. Now, let's look at some of those, oh, I don't know what you'd call them, current paths that offer men peace. They're current, but they're not new. They've been around quite a while. Here's one. Work hard, do penance, attend the sacraments, say an adequate number of Hail Marys, and when you die, you get to go to purgatory. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, and you're offered peace. There's nothing new to that message, ladies and gentlemen. Or here's another. Um, follow the eightfold path, and if you follow it strictly enough, you, you, you just might arrive. But on the way, you can have peace. But I can't assure you that you'll ever arrive. Another. Observe the five pillars. Um, if you do, you might get there, but, but you don't get the 70 virgins because you didn't die in jihad. And one of those pillars is a vacation. You get to take a trip to Mecca. But if you go, then we'll offer you peace. Another, social justice, moral reform, morality, Ten Commandments. But, but, but when will I know that I've done enough of those things? Never. Oh, and I fell, I only had seven more good works to do. You got really close. But all the while, you're being told, peace, peace. Folks, if, if your peace is based on a confidence in yourself, then you have a false peace. Just, just like this. Here's another. It's not obedience that God is after. He just wants sincerity. But who gets to decide as to when sincerity is present? And what does sincerity look like? And where did that notion come from? And who told you that? And on that, you will base your peace? Well, here's the last one. Look, Dr. Young, I mean, there are so many paths out there, so many options out there. I've concluded that, the, that they must all lead to the same place. They don't. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a logical absurdity. That is, that all paths lead to the same place. That's a logical absurdity. But that notion allows you to have some smidgen of peace. Folks, if you do not hate your sin, it doesn't matter which of those options you choose. I, I do not know of a, of a more thoroughly damnable delusion than for a man to get peace poured into his head and yet live on in his sin. 
Folks, only a false prophet would tell you that. In this portion of the book of Jeremiah, Israel is being offered an alternative path. So are we. Those current paths, they're nothing new about them. They're all old. But let me define the old path that is the remedy. It is a path that leads you straight to Christ, through Christ, and coming out on the other side is a life of obedience to his commands, a life of practical godliness based on faith in his revealed word empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The, the good old path is one that leads you straight to Christ, through Christ, and on the other side there comes out a life of practical obedience, practical godliness, in conformity to the truths of the word empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'll put it another way that's more simple, I hope. The right path is one that makes you more obedient to, more submissive to, and reliant upon Christ and him crucified. Because you see, Jesus is the one that told us he was the consummate old path. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, he's described the setting in Jerusalem in verses 14 and 15. And then he offers a remedy in verse 16. And then these final three verses, I want you to know, their, I want you to look at their response to this offer of a remedy. Uh, starting in verse 16. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, <laughs> we, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we're not going to pay attention to that. Therefore hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, They have rejected it. You know, um, there's a lot of people who do not like the message of this book. And, and I've, I've come to the conclusion that the reason that they don't like this book is because this book doesn't like them. Because it says things like this. I told you to pay attention, but you said, I will not. I told you to walk in the old paths, and you said, I will not walk on those. I gave you a law, and you said, I don't want that. So here, O earth, behold, I'm bringing disaster upon this people. Guys, um, what I'm about to say for the next minute or two, just take it or leave it. It's just my opinion. But the longer I live the more I am convinced that the world needs no new gospel, 
I am convinced that the, what the world needs is nothing but a bold, full, unflinching teaching of the old paths. The heart of man is the same in every age, and so is the remedy. And I see no need to depart from it. I see no evidence that the gospel is defective or decayed in any way. But tell me, which message do you think will be more popular? You need to have radical surgery or just use some skin lotion. The, the crowds and the popularity choose the skin lotion. And I don't think we should be surprised. It is exactly what Jeremiah faced in this era of Israel and in his lifetime. And it is exactly what a study of human nature from this book would lead us to expect. A superficial religion will always be fashionable. And it will always offer a peace. When in fact, There is no peace. Isaiah puts it this way. There's there's no peace for the wicked. Real peace is intimately associated with the Prince of Peace, whose name is Christ Jesus. I I I don't do this very often, but what I'd like to do is quit by reading you two verses of Scripture from the New Testament. This is Colossians 1. You don't have to turn. This is Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Let me read this as we close. For in him all, that's Christ, for in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There's the plan, ladies and gentlemen. Making peace through the blood of his cross. All other peace is no peace at all. Our Father, would you, um, would you use your word to remind us of the grand thing that you have done in the souls of so many of us? that you have brought us to see that the only way to be right with you is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ for sinners. That apart from that relationship with you through Christ, we are only telling ourselves what we want to hear. We are only telling ourselves, promising ourselves peace, when in fact there is none. And I pray, O God, that if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met this Savior who is our Prince of Peace, Would you cause them to see that the only remedy for their internal unrest is a relationship by faith with you through Christ? Do that, O God, so that men who walked in here at war with you can walk out at peace with you. We ask that, of course, in Jesus' name.